I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Our guest today has had huge entrepreneurial success and has shared his success with a variety of different stakeholders. Patrick Kenny, a University of Oregon grad, founded a highly successful insurance company. And as a result, built incredible relationships with people back at Oregon and eventually got involved with their sports program and was named athletic director for about three years. And you'll hear in his story on what he was involved in accomplishing and how he built this relationship with Phil Knight and helped to utilize that vision in moving athletics forward. We also discuss what he's done in San Diego uh, with the Lucky Duck Foundation and what's just occurred with the Pac-12 of losing both USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. So welcome to my friend, an extraordinary successful businessman, Pat Kilkenny. Hey, welcome friends. Really have a unique guest today, uh, an entrepreneur, someone who's really given back and who uh, never asks why. And just is one of the, those individuals that when he says he's gonna do something, you can take it to the bank. Our guest, Pat Kilkenny. Welcome, Pat. Thanks for joining us on uh, July 4th. Good morning, Chad. I appreciate you making time to to visit with us. You attended the University of Oregon, and you built this incredible insurance company, K2 Insurance. When did you start getting involved with Oregon athletics? One of my college friends was Peter Jacobson, a professional golfer, and uh, every year, I was lucky enough to go to the Masters with him, and I believe it was 1998 or 1988. Our basketball coach from Oregon, Don Munson, happened to be attending Augusta at the same time. And by the time the four days were over, Don and his son Dan, who coached at Gonzaga and now coaches at Long Beach State, and I became you know very good friends, and we talked about you know things that that I might be able to do to help uh, his basketball program. So that's when it started. And then you developed uh, a unique and special relationship with uh, Nike founder, Phil Knight. How did that come about? Well, I'm not sure he'd agree with that, but, you know, he famously said, and I say famously, I, I found it very humorous. Someone asked him uh, when we first met and he said, I have no memory whatsoever of the first time I met Pat. It was that special. So, <laughs> I, you know, it was probably, it was through Don Munson. I would guess that it was, you know, sometime around the middle 90s when we first became acquainted and I would see him at a football game or, you know, once in a while he would go on a road game and and we had a shared passion and and we both equally had bad senses of humor. So we, you know, we enjoyed each other's company or, or certainly I enjoyed his. So 
So when did he ask you to become athletic director? And, and how did that come about? First of all, he did not ask. Bill Moose, uh, who had done an extraordinary job at Oregon over a dozen years as athletic director, as you know, these those relationships, they it kind of evolved and and Bill uh decided to move on and and you know, and frankly I helped facilitate the exit uh financially and Bill and I to this day are, are I'm proud to say are good friends. And so they had a search for an athletic director that started, I believe, in August or September of that would be two thousand and six. And and I got a call from uh from Dave Fronmeyer late in the year that had been actually been preempted by a call by a fellow by the name of Ken O'Neill, who's one of uh, Phil's really close friends, went to college together. And Ken is a special guy and a special duck. And, and he said, well, we figured out who the next athletic director is going to be. And I said, well, who's that? And he said, you, and I chuckled and I said, no, seriously, who are you guys thinking about? And, and he said, no, seriously, we think that you'd be the right person. And I said, well, why would that be a good idea? And he, you know, he went on to talk about business background and the kinds of things that, you know, that were transferable. And I said, well, if, if you're really thinking about doing something like that, why wouldn't you want to hire someone that actually knows who the governor of the state of Oregon is? Because I don't even know that. Uh-huh. And he again chuckled. And then shortly thereafter, I heard from Dave Fronmeyer, who was our president at the time. and said he'd like to talk to me about that. And my wife, Stephanie, you know, loved our life in Southern California. Uh, I'd sold my business recently and she didn't have a lot of enthusiasm for the idea, but we both loved the Fraunmeyers. And so at least she consented to, you know, to say, well, go ahead and see, you know, what, what that's all about. And that was, uh, as I said, in late 2006, December, and the conversations evolved into January. And during your period of time there, you end up, Phil loses his son, and you end up building or helping to build an arena in his son's name. You start a baseball team and uh, reestablish it and build a stadium and, and, and help to fund it. So in a short period of time, you were intimately involved with the athletic program. Yeah, no, we were up there for the better part of three years. And you know, and, and we were every day, all day long, and, and Stephanie was an integral part of it, too. And I got to work with a man who I absolutely revered, and that was Dave Fronmeyer. And, and then I had access to Phil Knight and some of his vision and his thinking about what we should be doing and where we should be going. And, you know, on reflection, it was a very special part of my life. While I was doing it, quite frankly, I didn't enjoy it a lot because it it's complicated when you're part of a state, you know, university and, you know, and our connection with academia was not high, meaning that the athletic department and academic side, there was, wasn't a great connect. So we worked long and hard on that too, but, but we made some progress. I mean, the other, the, the piece is how we first met. You were Bob Bowlesby had selected you to be part of a committee to look for the, the commissioner of the PAC-10 at that point. It's a great honor to work with Bob and to work with you. And, you know, we were able to have a very successful search and, and bring Larry Scott in from a leadership perspective. And he did, you know, made monumental, monumental changes in the, uh, in the PAC 10 at the time. Uh, and, you know, we, you know, we had a lot of work to do to catch up with our peer group. And but it was a great pleasure to get to know Bob and to get to know you through the process. 
No, it's been unbelievable. And I have to say, you know, when you do these searches, there's some people you stay close to and some that just kind of drift away. And you and I have had the good fortune for me, from my perspective, of being able to stay attached and close to you. And you've been helpful in a variety of areas. So thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. No, it's all been my pleasure, Chad. So, so I, I mean, we talk about your philanthropy uh, and the things you've done in terms of in San Diego. Uh, you, you've created a foundation for the homeless called the, the Lucky Duck Foundation. So talk a little bit about that and some of the philanthropy things that you've been involved in doing. Well, the, my wife and I got married. Uh, I was 54 at the time, and she's significantly younger than I am. And and we decided, you know, that I, you know, going to little league games in my 60s probably wasn't a good idea. So that we needed to have a bond. And she was she was about service learning. And I always felt like, given how you know blessed and lucky we were in life, that we should find some things that, that of interest that we could work together to give back. And as luck would have it. We decided that this, uh, the homeless initiative, uh, we worked with a spiritual group to start with St. Vincent de Paul, Father Joe's Villages. And, and I'd been on the board for a lot of years and, and written a lot of checks, but not given a lot of time, but she would, she generously given a lot of her time. And so that became something that we, as we had more time and more resources that we, that, uh, we dedicated ourselves to the owner of the Padres, a gentleman by the name of Peter Seidler joined uh, our board and has been a really an integral part in the work that we've done in the local community. We've hired a full-time managing director. We have a board of 16 people now that are, are high achievers, but people with great hearts that, that are difference makers. That, and we work long and hard and, uh, on two fronts. One is to provide you know, near-term help for people that are on the street. And also we've challenged leadership in the you know, city, county, state to to understand what the problem is and to understand what some of the solutions are. So we've had, had a fair amount of success on both fronts, but it's a, it's something that, you know, as they say, it takes a village and we, we work on it, you know, literally every day. We talked about bringing Larry Scott in and there was a change where a new commissioner was brought in uh, just about a year ago. And um, all of a sudden the PAC 12 has changed. And when uh, George was asked a couple of weeks ago about what he thought about the conference, he thought it was in tremendous shape. And then all of a sudden, USC and UCLA are leaving. And um, I know one of the things that when Larry Scott first took the job and re-upped, he would try to understand and get commitments out of some of the schools about getting long-term rights commitments. USC had never given up the rights. Uh, so therefore, if you're coming into an opportunity like this, it would be my sense that you should probably understand what the status is of some of your schools as it relates to you know, your, uh, the rights that you have for a TV contract that's potentially coming up. What's your sense of, were you surprised uh, what happened with UCLA and USC or, and what's your take on it? I was surprised, but I wasn't <clears throat> shocked. When Larry took the job, one of the first things that he did, and I'm sure you would remember this, was he engaged the L.A. schools because he knew there was some dissatisfaction. And obviously we were we were behind 
other conferences, and, and incidentally, rightfully so, because if you look at demographics and and stadiums and eyeballs, you know the Pac-12 really does pale by comparison in terms of passion, fan base, passion, and so on. But regardless of that fact, he engaged them, uh, told them that they were, you know, we were going to get a meaningful step up. Uh, they're going to make strategic investments, and in, uh, particularly in our our uh, primary media rights. And that they would get deference. And what well, what happened was there was a negotiated deal with USC and UCLA where they received a, an outsized margin over the other eight schools at the time. There was ten at the time. You know whether there was great satisfaction with that. You know you I, I can't tell you, but it but it did get them to commit to a you know a long term arrangement, uh, which you know which was very very important to the value of the you know, the overall media rights package for, you know, for the conference. And there was always a sense that USC particularly, uh, you know, you know, they were the gold standard. And and I don't know that that's necessarily not a fact, but they didn't, you know, to have competitive parity and to have a conference, you, you know, you have to have some socialized revenue. And and Larry somehow found some balance there. He, the other thing he did that I thought was amazing is ESPN and Fox no secret didn't get along uh and he got them in the same darn room and up the the, the uh, economics went up by 20 or 25 percent by getting them to collaborate to bid on the conference media rights you know collectively and those are the kinds of things that i think smart leaders strategic you know leaders do to make a difference and and what's happened since then i, I don't know i uh, click off certainly could have engaged usc but but obviously not enough. And them leaving the league along with UCLA is hugely problematic, not just for the Pac-12, but for college athletics. And it's really disappointing. And I, I mean, I hope some way, somehow, that people will not forget that student-athlete experience is a big part of the, the, the equation. And this isn't always about chasing the almighty dollar, but, but it's clear that USC and UCLA is at this point in time, I've said, hey, we'll let these kids go through three time zones and we'll let them to be, you know, uh, horribly disadvantaged and from a competitive perspective. Uh, so, you know, we'll get paid a lot more. And and to try to justify that just for money, you know, it, quite frankly, is offensive to me. I think one of the other th- pieces that has happened is that the networks have stepped up and taken control. ESPN. Yeah, it, it, sure, it sure seems like it. I mean, ESPN was the one that orchestrated. Oklahoma and Texas and Fox being in Los Angeles. You know, one of the things that Jim Delaney did when he was the commissioner was he gave Fox the exclusive rights to negotiate for the Big Ten network. So now here you are. Now you talk about being a businessman, how you'd like to be CBS, ESPN, being in those meeting rooms where Fox is representing Kevin Warren in the Big Ten. So clearly with USC and UCLA being in the back door of Fox, they had a, a strategic uh, decision, I think, to make with the TV deal coming up to be able to orchestrate a move like that. Yeah, no doubt. that it, I don't think there's any doubt that what you're suggesting happened and was an integral part of it. It just seems like USC and UCLA could have been a big part of the solution in the Pac-12. Both of them are near uh, Ivies. They have a lot to offer. The media market's the second biggest on the planet. And it, you know, there was a lot of work that needed to be done to step up our game to be able to, 
you know, to, to kind of be somewhere within a shouting distance of the SEC and the Big Ten. But it, but it could have been done with hard work and good leadership. But for whatever reason, they punted early on. Uh, and I will tell you that SC has been a big part of the our spiral down. They haven't competed in years. And when they were competing, the value of our property was was meaningful. And, and schools like Oregon can't get it done. You know, there's just not enough economics behind places like Oregon. The University of Washington has, has struggled some recently, too. And yeah, it is all really disappointing. Uh, and, and to me, it's just lacking in leadership and priorities. Uh, from your perspective, you mentioned Oregon and Washington. How do you th- what do you think their strategy is? I mean, clearly, are they going to rely on the, the uh, conference commissioner? Or are they going to work behind the scenes, in, in your mind, uh, to try to negotiate something that can be helpful for them? Well, it doesn't seem like there's any loyalty whatsoever right now. And as disappointing as that is, uh, yeah, I don't I think they're probably thinking about it, you know, a multitude of different ways. You know, they got out of bed, you know, last week and were surprised like everybody else was. And I don't know that Washington and Oregon are even collaborating. I, the, the lack of collaboration is what got us here in the first place. And, and not just in the conference, but nationally, uh, even during the COVID, you know, the Big Ten took a hike and didn't work with, you know, didn't work with the Pac-12. And I just, I don't understand the, the lack of connection. You know, it should be for the greater good. And it seems like there's great value that can be derived there. But, and, you know, people like Bob Bowlesby are amazing leaders. And, uh, but, and I do not know some of these other people, but it just seems like everybody uh, in leadership and, and college athletics are fairly new and are probably still looking for where the bathrooms are at. I guess in the Pac 12, there is no bathrooms anymore. So, <laughs> well, we've got to make sure they're gender neutral, though. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of priorities that we have to deal with. The political correctness that, that everybody has to deal with, I don't think, is helping <laughs> people to get to what really does matter. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a new world, that's for sure. I, I think, Pat, though, from your perspective, in terms of what you've contributed to the University of Oregon and to the greater San Diego community and to the people that you've been friends with, is is remar- in this day and age, I mean, if what happened with the other three schools when the SEC, you know, pulled out, pulled what they did, you know, there was an alliance formed uh, with uh, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC. But nobody shook nobody shook hands. There was no and there was no written agreement. So the fact that the Pac-12 went uh, those two schools went to the the Big Ten, there was no real agreement. It was one of those, uh, okay, a slap on the back as opposed to something that was definitive, which ended up costing them because it didn't work in the the alliance's best interest. Yeah, it just seems like good leaders, you know, are all focused on the greater good. and, And I don't know if there were turf issues or what, but it's not something that was that's healthy or helpful. Uh, and it, and the rich are going to get richer, and the and the uh, uh, the, the 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 people that are going to be left behind. It's going to be a triple A status, and I don't know how they think that is going to ultimately be sustainable because there's not uh, not having competitive parity, but only having it 
you know, in the hands of a handful of teams and a handful of colleges, you know, takes away the charm of it. You know, I mean, the, the March Madness, although it doesn't ring the cash register like football does, but but the charm of it is, is there's 340 schools that, you know, have a shot at it and conference champions, albeit, you know, whether they should be involved or not involved, are involved and, you know, and and it is America. And once in a while, you know, the, you know, the Americans beat the Russians in hockey. I mean, it just, those things happen, but in football, they're just taking, taking it, the, any opportunity away from other than a handful of schools. Uh, it doesn't make sense. I, that's not strategic. It's, it's lazy. It's short-term greed. It's, it, I, I just don't understand how smart people can make those kinds of decisions. I think what they're looking to do is just like in the NFL, where you have an AFC and an NFC, is to have two mega conferences where there may be 20, 25 teams that are in each conference and then the rest of the people slide. But I mean, if you look at your school, if you look at Oregon, the success you've had in football and basketball since you recruited Dana Altman in basketball as well. I mean, it's been profound. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Schools like Oregon have a chance. Uh, should they have a chance? Yeah, you know, I mean, Phil Knight, is, his investments and in, not just his money, but his vision has been without parallel. I mean, there's been, you know, schools that have thrown a lot of money at athletics but haven't had great success. But, you know, it, and it, it is something that's pri about pride and it can really elevate your university. And we may get left behind through the process. I mean, we'll see. And if we get left behind, I don't know if we can climb that ladder. If those two twenty team, you know, conferences or whatever they end up being, have the economic wherewithal, and particularly with name image likeness, it's just it seems like it's it's an awfully difficult, you know, battle. I, you know, I, Gonzaga's done it. A few people have done it, but 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 those are great great stories, and they're very rare. So, but yeah, no, it does feel like what you just said. It does feel like the the, the NFL model is is right in front of us. Well, the other thing, as we close, I just want to thank you personally for the the guidance and counseling you've given to my son. I uh, really appreciate the time you've spent with him and uh, taking time out of your schedule to give him advice and to get on the phone and to talk to him and to understand what he's interested in doing and sharing uh, your thoughts about him with some of your close contacts. So thank you very much. Well, genetics are pretty powerful, so he's pretty extraordinary, Jed. <laughs> uh, and it's been all my great pleasure. I've, there's a handful of young men that I, I did, as I mentioned, we didn't have children. So I've been blessed to have a few kids around like your son that, you know, shared their time with me too. So that's all been great. And I'm excited for his future. And, you know, and I hope that he gets to, you know, chase his dreams like you and I have. Uh, Pat, thank you. Thanks for taking time uh, with our guests today on a 4th of July. Are you going to be going to any fireworks, you and Stephanie tonight or? What are your plans? Well, I hope I hope there's no fireworks between us. So, uh, <laughs> no, we're doing great. She's we have a have a home up in Lake Tahoe, so she's just coming back today. So okay. it's it's a pretty lazy afternoon. So, but but thank you and my best to you and your family, Jed. And thanks for spending some time with me too. Thanks.